are listening to Midtown Conversations. My name is Danielle DeVoe, and today we have a special panel assembled to talk about all things city. We're going to talk especially today about downtown development and some of the ways that our city is changing rapidly before our eyes, some of the challenges that we face with that growth, and some of the ways that we would like to build better, more inclusive cities. So my panelists today are Melissa Bowman, creator of Citified and co-founder of WREMB, as well as a community advocate, and I'm sure all of our listeners have seen Melissa out in the community and doing her great work. Also with us today is Sam Nabby, a downtown Kitchener business owner, musician, creator of the Tri-City Hip Hop Map, and former urban planner. Some might say recovering, but he's still doing urban work, uh, urban planning type work and engaging in our community in sort of really strategic, interesting ways. Uh, so I don't think he has actually recovered. I think that's not true. Uh, and of course, Alex Glass, Executive Director of ArtsBuild Ontario and a cultural spaces advocate. Thank you so much for joining me today, everybody. Glad to be here. Thank you. Just to get started, uh, I was thinking we could just go around and hear from everyone about what some of the things that they've seen uh, in the downtown in the past decade that have really been interesting or inspiring or engaging. So what's like the biggest shift that you're seeing that is, is great for our city? And we'll start with Sam because Melissa pointed at him. <laughs> All right. Wow, that's a big question. So um, when, you, when you asked within the last decade, um, my mind went to a few events and, and experiences that um, that are actually no longer with us. And I'm thinking about um, cultural events like Night Shift uh, that were really eclectic and um, just a, an experience for people to uh, engage with downtown, meet their neighbors, um, experience parts of buildings downtown that you don't normally get access to. So so Night Shift was a, a, a festival, I believe created originally by Eric Rumble, um, who now works for the city in, in arts and culture. Uh, and it was a really great opportunity to do weird art and to explore downtown Kitchener in a way that you don't normally get to. So I think I first found out about it when I was a student at the University of Waterloo. and having opportunities for people from other parts of the region to come downtown in a, in a context that's not the market or you know a, a mainstream event like um, you know what one of the big festivals that that people are coming down for and not coming down for, for the clubs necessarily but coming down to see uh, multimedia art projection art performances in these unconventional spaces there was um, you know, stuff happening in the basement of the Walper Hotel. Uh, there was stuff happening in the uh, uh, in the historic building on Queen Street, um, sixteen twenty Queen Street, that is now being redeveloped. Um, and so, I think there was a, a a feeling, you know, say ten years ago to five years ago, of really play and experimentation. Um, and then I think about what we're doing today, and some of that is happening in different ways again. Um, you know, we have businesses opening up like AOK Arcade Bar that is fronting out onto the laneway and looking at that space that is a, a loading area and a, a dark alleyway and 
has you know had graffiti all over it and is now being merged with um, actually sanctioned murals and again uh, artwork put up, put up by organizations like Kafka that has stayed up past their uh, past their festival. Um, but then there's also a business whose their front door is in the back laneway of downtown Kitchener. So that's just a really unique urban experience for people to, uh, to enjoy as well. And um, so yeah, that, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is arts and culture and festivals and experiences that have happened. And in some ways, there's still a lot of that same energy, but the people behind it and the actual events themselves have changed. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think that rebuilding of those urban spaces is so interesting. It's something that the city of Kitchener has been grappling with a little bit. And Night Shift, I do remember being out when it was raining and very cold, and there were so many people out. And I was just, <laughs> it was really inspiring to see that people were still willing to go out and freeze for uh, uh, an art festival at, at sort of an inclement time of weather time of year. Uh, Melissa, what, what's sort of your big, big things? Yeah, it's interesting that you started with that, Sam. Um, we've been downtown just just over a, a dozen years, so about the time frame that we're looking at. And one of the reasons that we moved downtown was because we we're saying, like we were biking and busing and driving to events and festivals and things that were happening in and around the downtown. And we're like, why are we spending all of this time traveling to these places when we could perhaps live closer to them. So that was definitely one of um, the many draws to this area. Um, when you asked the question, the first thing that came to mind for me too was, uh, yeah, how we get around and transportation. So obviously we've seen the ION uh, come to fruition in that time and just the changes that have come with that. Um, one of them that maybe not everybody notices, but I think came out of the shift to the ION was how Grand River Transit had moved towards um, a grid system as opposed to, I'm not sure what the other system was called, but more of a meandering neighborhood type thing. Um, and so now it's more of a grid to line up with the ION and just how that's changed transportation. Along with that, um, I think of all of the cycling lanes that we're really starting to see and um, protected, separated um, lanes more often, which is a great thing to see. Um, I had just recently shared on social media that I had seen um, a parent and a child uh, in the protected bike lane along Queen, um, and the, the parent was giving guidance to this young learning, you know, inexperienced um, child on cycling. And, you know, before that separated space existed, you would not see that type of thing happening. So I just thought, oh, this is this is why we are doing this, um, to see, you know, sort of families be able to use that space, the next generation using that space um, in, in climate-friendly ways. Um, so for me, one of the big things is definitely how we get around and how that's changing, especially in the core. Yeah, and I, I've talked about this the other week on conversations that the um, I don't ride my bike as often as I should because I have young children and it's just so hard, but exactly. the separated bike lanes makes a huge difference Absolutely. for struggling young mothers everywhere. <laughs> well, not young mothers, mother of young children. <laughs> um, Alex, what would you say is your, your big things? Oh gosh, um, well I've lived here for seven years. So when I came, uh, downtown was like, uh, I felt like an aluminum state. I learned that Waterloo's um, 
uh, landscape was different than Kitchener's quite quickly. Um, but both communities have been in a state of evolution and been living in and working in downtown Kitchener. Um, I've certainly seen it's been in a constant state of change, like Goody's Lane was created. There's a lot of placemaking happening. Uh, Sam, you were behind the vision of 44 Gockle becoming a pedestrian uh, area. Um, 44 Gockle itself was... Um, we, we took over uh, this former postal office and have been here for in our sixth year. Um, and so in that, in that time, like as you both have mentioned before, just a lot of events have evolved through that and cycled through that time um, and new ones are coming up too. And it, also I want to make mention of the city's um, Love My Hood department that has been created recently. Um, and there's been some really cool change and focus on neighborhoods in Kitchener as well coming out of that. Yeah, and Midtown Radio was founded with a Love My Hood placemaking grant. So there you go. That's why we're here today. Um, so I think, you know, yes, like, you know, we're all, all of us spend a lot of time downtown. We're all um, downtown advocates. We love the things that are happening in downtown. Um, but people have also experienced frustrations. And so, of course, you know, we're surrounded um, you know, we're at 44 Gockel today. Um, I've conducted a lot of interviews at 44 Gockel over the past couple of years, and um, many of them have this kind of rumble vibration sound underneath them from the construction that's going on across the street when they're jackhammering something. And so it's also had, you know, a lot of change. Saying it's had a lot of change is an understatement. You know, when we walk downtown, we walk into a completely different streetscape now. We walk under the, if we're going down King, we walk under the rail bridge, which is, was, you know, it's ridiculous to think that 10 years ago that wasn't there because it just seems like that's what the city looks like now. And so we have this real push to change the cityscape, a lot of tall buildings going in, a lot of disruption, a lot of um, construction. Um, how do you feel about, you know, where the city is at it and, you know, how, when are we going to get to the point of it feeling like we've established the city as it is and we can get back to enjoying all of the streets without that kind of disruption? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sam, maybe as a business owner, you've had, you've probably, you've had a lot of disruption, I think, in your, in your time. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to think about construction specifically and the disruption that comes with that, um, you know, whether it's for routine maintenance of a street and they're ripping something up to replace replace underground infrastructure or whether it's for a big project like the LRT. Um, so my partner Julia and I bought uh, the, the business Full Circle Foods, uh, which was on Charles Street right next to the Ion Tracks. Um, now the construction was just completed as we took over the building and the previous, uh, uh, took over the business and the previous owners retired. Um, but we heard from them and we heard from the staff that were working there that it was a, a big disruption and especially for businesses along Charles Street. Um, Cafe Pyrus uh, was very vocal in, in the fact that people couldn't access their front door for, for months and months at a time. Um, and this is a common theme that happens, especially with, with transit projects uh, across cities all over all over Ontario and probably all over the world. Like I've heard similar stories in in Hamilton as they prepare for their LRT, similar stories on the Eglinton uh, Crosstown line in Toronto, that um, it is a disruption. And, and, and if you're running a business um, where you know, you're, you're able to pay your costs and maybe you have that extra 10 or 15% that you're able to 
put away for savings or pay yourselves as an independent business owner, and then um, some disruption lowers your business by 10%. It might not seem like a big number, but that's your, that's your cushion that you have, and now the business is at risk of not paying its bills. Um, so I think there, there does need to be more sensitivity to that. I'm not saying that um, government should pay every business that is, that is experiencing construction outside, but if we start with that understanding of what are the actual impacts to your business and how can we ensure that during the construction um, all the details are being taken care of. So this expands beyond just businesses too. So if we think about uh, Queen Street, um, there's a new apartment building being built between Joseph and Cortland on Queen Street right now. It's almost finished, but for the last two years, they had blocked off one block of the sidewalk, and it just uh, was fenced off because they needed the extra few feet of space for their construction material and their construction equipment, and there was just an orange sign saying pedestrian use other sidewalk. And if you're walking and you get to that, you just have to figure out how to cross the street and then walk for half a block and cross back. And most people didn't do that. Most people just walked in the road. Um, but when I visit places like Toronto, um, you know, they haven't arrived at a, at a uh, final state. Toronto is also growing and changing all the time. But you go there, you know, I visit there and I'm walking around and there is construction going on but they build a, a pedestrian underpass so that whatever debris is happening around you, they have made a path for pedestrians to keep using the sidewalk. Or, um, you know, maybe there's a lane reduction in the road so that you, you can walk around. And I, I feel like we need to stop treating con construction as a temporary activity and just throwing some pylons down and telling people to figure it out and actually realizing that we're probably always going to have construction in different parts of downtown. And we need to understand, okay, how are people going to walk around this area? If we took away their sidewalk, what are we putting in to make sure people can still access it and have, uh, have also consideration for accessibility so that if people are on a wheelchair or someone's pushing a stroller that they can also keep using it? Um, and then, yeah, also for the businesses and the activities that actually happen. So. Uh, to make downtown work. We need loading. We need people making deliveries. We need um, customers being able to, to find the entrance to a building. And uh, so I think the city, uh, as well as, you know, it's not just the city doing these construction projects. It could be the hydro company. It could be uh, private d developers that are building something. And we need to have a, a more detailed conversation about what it means to do construction, which we need to do, but also make sure that everyone around that is being taken care of. Oh yeah, and especially in this context of so many more people living downtown now, mm -hmm. and, and many of those people traveling on foot or on bike rather than car, and so this default of we can just close the sidewalk and the only person inconveniences are the pedestrians, but there aren't that many of them anyway, that's, that's not true. Um, and so yeah, I mean that, that, that exact sideway, side, sidewalk closure has, was torturous for me for those two years as well. It's like you Especially know, flashbacks in winter. as you're talking about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and Melissa, so you've really um, been a good advocate for thinking about streets in these different ways, accommodating not just cars first, uh, transitioning from being a cars first uh, uh, city to being something different. And, and you and Sam, again, the pedestrian, pedestrianization of, of Gockle Street being one of those pushes. So 
Um, how are you thinking about some of the disruptions to the, the city spaces, but then also the opp opportunities that we can find in, in those moments? Yeah, for sure. Again, um, I really appreciate what Sam was saying around um, accessibility, uh, especially it becomes more of an issue, I think, in, in the winter. Um, you know, I have a friend who uh, is a parent of a young child who uses mobility devices at various times, and uh, they don't own a vehicle, and she often shares um, her challenges in getting around the city um, with with these extra considerations that, that their family has. And uh, there's no shortage of examples, unfortunately, um, that she, you, you can go through her, her social media and just see um, all of the examples um, where it just, as Sam said, it's just that sign, uh, sometimes mid-block, that you just need to be somewhere else. There might not be curb cuts there. Um, we, we don't do... We don't take that approach with vehicles. Um, it would be lovely as pedestrians to feel um, as important as vehicles um, sometimes in this city. So, um, you know, if a, if a road needs to be um, closed down, there's detour signs and there's um, uh, information. I mean, on the news, I hear about road closures. Uh, I would love to hear about that with trail uh, changes and detours and that type of thing. So, um, you know, Technically, we are saying that we are prioritizing pedestrians and cyclists and vulnerable road users. Um, practically speaking, I don't see that always play out. Um, at this point, I would be happy if we were seen as equal <laughs> to a vehicle um, and eventually with the goal of being prioritized. And all that to say, there is, there is a lot of um, changes that are happening that are great to see. And so I do want to celebrate those successes, but it's sometimes... Um, easy to see those, uh, to put our energies behind some of those things like a protected bike lane downtown, which is great, but then in the day-to-day -day stuff, those uh, things that can easily be looked over um, can mean the difference of somebody being able to access a street or, or not being able to. I'd also say, I think um, Alex mentioned the evolution um, of, of the downtown uh, in the last decade, and I think that's a great word for cities, and I, I feel like that's one of the things that I love about cities, and it can also pose challenges for sure, but I think, you know, construction, we're always going to see that. Um, you'd think by now we'd be better at <laughs> doing it well for everybody, but um, I think that's just part of city life. I do think with um, downtown, development, you know, I, I do get excited to see the density that's coming. Um, I always say like more neighbors equals more fun. So it's great to see more people coming to the core. Um, I, I am one of the people who is fine with, with height. Um, I do think that it's easy to look at, I think at one point we maybe had 14 cranes um, visible in the sky at one point, um, which yeah, that feels like a lot, but it's also the very visible um, towers are, are obvious. Um, there's a lot of development that happens that goes under the radar and development that I personally would have some concerns about. So, I mean, in my old neighborhood, it, we were basically on farmland. It was farmland behind us. It is not farmland anymore. We were contributing to that by living in that space. And now I go to that area and it's all single detached homes, some townhomes and that type of thing. Those are not the um, types of construction and development that draws a lot of concern. And that's 
where I think we need to change our perspective a bit because um, if we are wanting to you know, hold the line, um, keep that countryside line, we need to be building up more um, densifying and, and that type of thing. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see, see what's happening as more people come downtown and hopefully as Sam was talking about businesses, you know, hopefully with more people and more people walking and cycling, um, studies show that those people are more likely to stop in at businesses than people who are driving through a space. Um, I hope that it's a win-win for everybody in the area. Yeah, and I think that um, this is something that I've discussed a little bit with Alex, just because of the, the, the idea that we are in this space that's actually kind of um, newly available and therefore up for negotiation. So I wonder, um, Alex, if you wanna talk a little bit about some of the ways that within all of that redevelopment, these sort of spaces become available that people can use for alternate purposes. So for example, we're in a post office, or a former post office right now, um, that's being used as an arts hub. And that's, it's a really significant little piece of downtown that, that wasn't turned over for development right away. People kind of stopped and thought and, and found sort of an, a temporary use for it, or maybe a permanent use for it. The, across the street, the bus station, another space that um, people are actively negotiating over um, how should that be redeveloped so it's not even about it that development shouldn't happen but that 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 more community members want to be involved and have a say in in what kinds of development takes place and, and arts build in particular with a mandate of like spaces for arts and creative activities those spaces that can can be pushed out um, of gentrifying areas you know what are your thoughts on the, <laughs> how, where we are now in terms of uh, are we achieving some good objectives for getting artists space and and do we have a timeline or like are we imagining keeping space available for artists yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, so much to unpack there. And also, I am waiting for this like descent of people who are going to move into these condos, like almost like an not apocalyptic, but like like are they going to just come down from the condo towers and, and just like, be in the streets? Yeah, be in the streets, be in, you know, make businesses, buy things. Um, yeah, and and some of those guys are going to be artists. Um, and, and, you know, I think about, yeah, are we preserving space, the spaces that we already have and like meanwhile space models comes to mind with 40 for Gawcom in particular. So like we have existing infrastructure and as cities kind of go through this evolution of um, getting denser and denser and like different neighborhoods now serve different needs, it goes through gentrification, whether that's artists in one neighborhood or district um, redefining what it is or communities even coming together um, and almost you, you kind of get a network, a really supportive network of, of we talked about neighborhood character at one point. Um, and I think that all of that together, it all has to work together. It has to be a balance. Um, you know, we talked about uh, businesses being disrupted with construction. That has to be taken into account when a city grows. Um, so taking pause, like with a building like 44 Gockel, is really interesting of the city to do that and prioritize affordable space for artists in particular with this space. Um, you know, it, talk about the pandemic, we're still in it and artists are really suffering still, like, you know, especially the performing arts. It's a very precarious um, subsector in the arts right now. Um, so, I mean, that's at play as well. Um, so our, I think we're thinking about it. 
Um, I think there's always more work to be done. And, and I recognize that municipalities are never going to please any, everybody. It is impossible. And it's a big task, especially for the people behind these things who are, are really trying. Um, but I think that it does need to be addressed, and we do need to keep talking about it. And, and artists need to be a part of that community input when we're talking about planning and development. And it would be great to see, with the de future development that comes down, um, the pike that you know we do have space for our local creatives to be in and access, um, and that that's taken into account. Yeah. So with our last couple of minutes that we have, I just want to hear from everyone. What's the next big thing that you want to see downtown do? Like, what are we going to get downtown that we need? What's the big development shift that we're looking forward to? Affordable housing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's an interesting question because I don't think it's going to be one thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> if we think about the old Charles Street bus terminal, um, it's a lot of ideas and, and community advocacy around what, what's going to happen there, including uh, calls for land back to have that space be managed by Indigenous groups in the region. Um, but I think in, in all of these conversations, when you, when you get past the first, uh, the first layer of what should we do there, people always realize that, you know, it needs to be a mix of things. Um, we're no, you know, the fear is that it's just going to be uh, luxury towers that nobody can afford on the entire block, and it'll go up 50 stories. And I don't think anyone wants that to happen. Uh, you know, everyone is recognizing that we need affordable housing. We need space for, for arts and culture. Maybe we need to expand Victoria Park. Maybe, you know, we need um, uh, spaces for social service agencies. And it's a big property, and there's, there's room for all of that. Um, you know, personally, I'm not a big fan of, of big developments. I, I, would, I would almost uh, like to see a, a maximum size of property that can be developed in an urban area because I, I feel like when properties get broken up and developed by different owners and different developers, that that's when you get that authentic mix of uses in a city and um, it means that smaller builders and you know more independent and more local uh, landowners can uh, actually make a go of it rather than having something built by multinational engineering firms. Um, so that that's a bit of a tangent on on just development and construction and lot sizes and stuff. But um, I don't think any great city becomes great by one mega project. If you think about places that say we're going to build a stadium downtown or we're going to, you know, do do a, a World's Fair downtown, like those types of things are not for building cities. Those types of things are for tourism and uh, more than tourists live in a city. Mm -hmm. Melissa? I think it's interesting that you brought up the, um, the old bus terminal because I think what is I think it's gaining interest from the community about what could be there and I think part of it is because it feels like um, an opportunity to almost design a small-scale city like it's such a large base that I think people realize as you said Sam that you can do a lot of different things with it and I think a lot of people are coming to the table with their ideas about what that could be because how often do you get to have sort of this huge space where we can all be like okay we need affordable housing we need um, space for 
arts and culture and we need you know all of those things that our community wants I think it's just a great opportunity to get a sense of what people can dream about for their city um, on, on this sort of one plot of land so I'm very excited about the conversations I, I hope it comes to fruition in a, in a positive way Alex, last minute to you. You said affordable housing is still your, is that still uh, what you want? That's a bit of a personal passion point, yeah. especially with the fire that was on Benton a, f- a few weeks ago. I, you know, I walk by that site every day and I really feel for those families that were in there. Um, but I also saw how the community came together to look after their own in that community, you know, and, and that was pretty amazing to see that. Um, and I felt very proud to live here in that moment. Um, and supports a uh, family going through that. But in terms of the, I, to Sam, to your point again, like I don't think it's one big project that's going to solve these problems. It's, it's a lot of intentional, it's a framework that we have to look at addressing each of these issues, not with kind of washing it out with one thing. And I think of that art washing is one of those terms too. Um, so we have to be really intentional. Also more focus on social purpose real estate seeing those projects, you know, giving the ownership um, and autonomy to community groups to uh, carve out, own, and preserve uh, space for community purpose. That's that's what I'd like to see. That's great. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me. My name is Danielle DeVoe. You're listening to Midtown Conversations. This has been our city's panel, and we are going to be hanging out uh, a few more times to talk about different issues of interest to us living in an ever-changing and adapting city or in our case in the region cities so my panelists were melissa bowman creator of the citified substack and co-founder of wr yimby sam nabby a downtown kitchener business owner and creator of tri-city hip-hop and alex glass executive director at arts build ontario and a cultural spaces advocate if you want to reach out to us with more topics uh, or just to engage in the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Midtown Radio KW. Thanks so much for listening.